Well, if we missed you this weekend, Happy New Year. It may be the first time of 2022 that we get to see you, so it is good to see you. It's a blessing to be together and to study God's Word together tonight. You can open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 16 as we get back to our study in Genesis. It's been a a few weeks now. Uh, We finished up Genesis 15 the week before Christmas, and then we had our not-so-silent night, which was a great blessing, and then last week taking the week off and enjoying time you know, with family, and we, we like to give our staff the week off and close down the office here you know, between Christmas and New Year, so it's always a blessing, and uh, we're thankful for that. So we took off last week, and now here we pick up again in the book of Genesis as we are plowing on through, trying to get through a chapter every week. So far, so good. Uh, And here we are in Genesis chapter 16, continuing our study. And as we do, we want to just remind ourselves of so much of the focus that we've seen is the promises of God. The promises of God throughout Genesis are so real. They, They jump out at us, and specifically, we've been looking at the promise of God to Abram, that he would be the father of many nations, that God would make his descendants great, and that God would bless him with great land and an abundance of of things, of, of just blessing upon blessing. This would be Abram's life. And so God is beginning to, we've seen him begin to fulfill and giving him land and and blessing him in this way, but yet Abram still has no son, he has no heir, he has no descendant to call his own, which God had promised him and God had reminded him, we saw. And then, of course, in chapter 15, we saw this, the, the picture of the covenant that God made with Abram, not that was made between Abram and God. It was a one-sided covenant that God made with Abram, and we saw for the first time a blood covenant taking place and see then the foreshadowing of Christ being the atonement in the blood covenant uh, and that his body was broken and his blood was shed And he proclaimed the good news of salvation for us in his death on the cross and being the sacrificial lamb. And now, as we pick up in chapter 16, we're going to see again uh, Abram's story getting a little messy. We've seen it get a little messy before in his time in Egypt. And now we're going to see him bring a little bit of Egypt with him. Uh, So Genesis chapter 16, verse 1, we'll read the first four verses here. For now, uh, it says, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, see now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai Abram's wife took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband to be uh, Abram to be his wife. After Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan, so he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. And what we're seeing here as we begin 
is a lack of fruit. There was a promise that Abram would be the father of many nations, that his descendants would be great, yet there are zero descendants right now. And so in in Abram's eyes, the promise of God is lacking. The promise of God, there is no fruit to fulfill the promise of God so far. In the eyes of Abram, this is God's silence. And we cannot handle God's silence, can we? Much like Abram, we don't like, we don't like silence at all. Awkward silence, right? If I just sat here and we stared at each other all night, everybody would be like, what is going on? You either get up and walk out or somebody's going to say something, right? When you have silence in a conversation, somebody's like, okay, we're good. I'll see you later, right? We've got to find something else to do because we can't handle silence. And more and more, even in the world today, we can't handle silence. We can't handle stillness. Even when we sit down and maybe we just have silence for a moment, what do we do? Let me take out my phone. Let me see what's going on here. You know, scroll through for a minute, check the news, check the email, check the text message, uh, you know, scroll the, the Facebook or the Instagram or the Twitter and see what everybody's got going on in life and Right? I mean, we, we can't handle stillness. We can't handle silence. But God works and he draws sometimes closest to us and desires the closest fellowship with us in the silence. That's what his desire is. But Abram is like, where are you, God? Why aren't you speaking? Where are you, God? Why aren't you speaking? And he continues to, in in a sense, he's like, what is happening? Where is the promise? Where is my descendant? Where is the heir that God promised? Remember, God made a covenant with Abram. The blood covenant here, this picture is glorious of what God just showed Abram. And even told, showed Abram that, Abram, you don't have to do it. You don't have to be a part of the covenant because you cannot fulfill the covenant. I will fulfill the covenant. But yet, but yet there is a lack of understanding. There's a lack of patience. And then a lack of patience ultimately is a lack of faith. And we, like Abram, hate the silence. We cannot handle silence. We cannot handle a momentary lack of fruit. But we need to remember, 2 Peter says it, uh, chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness. Now, we have to not forget that part. As some count slackness, and Abram, right here and now, is counting this as slackness. He thinks that God is slacking concerning the promise. And sometimes when we don't hear from God, when God is silent, he just wants more of us, more fellowship. But we think that he's slacking. We think that he's not moving, that he's not talking. Listen, if we're not hearing from God, then we're not spending enough time reading his word. But God works as well in the silence. The waiting, the stillness. He says, be still and know that I am God. Be still. We don't have to always be going. We don't always have to be doing. We don't always have to be trying to move God's hand. We don't always have to be trying 
to fulfill God's promise for him. But we mistake God's silence for distance when the attempt is actually closeness. And we mistake a lack of fruit for slackness, for failure, for not fulfilling. We think God is not fulfilling the promise. And so what happens here, right, is so Abram, uh, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. This is the, the slacking that Abram thinks is happening. And she had an Egyptian maidservant. Whoa, hold on a minute. Why does, why does she have an Egyptian maidservant? Where did the Egyptian maidservant come from? Egypt. What happened in Egypt? We studied that a few weeks back, right? Chapter 12. There was a promise, and then Abram goes to Egypt to try to fulfill the promise. And then God gets him out of Egypt, and what does he do? He brings Egypt with him. And then what does he do? He tries to use Egypt to fulfill the promise. Egypt is bad news, guys. An Egyptian maid servant. Another Egyptian solution for Abram. Abram tried out Egypt before it didn't go well. But Egypt is a constant representation of bondage and of sin, of the flesh in the Bible. Hagar, the Egyptian maidservant, likely a remnant of the legacy of the journey that Abram took to Egypt and brought the Egyptian back with them. You know, it was far easier for God to get Abram out of Egypt than it is for God to get Egypt out of Abram. But they need to go hand in hand. Sometimes God removes us from a flesh-filled situation and wants us to be rid of all the things, but we've seen it so many times. People still try to hold on to a little bit of it. I've talked to many people for many years in, in recovery from addiction even. In these situations, it's like you talk to people, you tell them, get out of, leave everything that had anything to do with the world of addiction that you lived in. And don't go back to any of it and don't hold on to any of it. But yet so many times, people are like, well, I understand what you're saying, but I can hold on to this one thing. Or I can go back to visit that one person, or I can... Go back to that one portion of my lifestyle that was there. It is bad news, guys. It is bad news. And the Bible teaches us that. We need to be rid of it. We can't bring it with us. Because if we bring it with us, it will dictate our decisions at some point or another, like it does with Abram and Sarai. Abram brought Egypt with him. The great problem with worldliness, we bring it with us. 
We don't like to let go. We like to hold on and we like to think that we can handle it. We can still have a little piece of Egypt with us. Because maybe somewhere along the way, it can help us out. But all it's going to do is keep matters in our hands. Every single time, it's going to just bring us back to that, okay, now I could use that chip from Egypt. Oftentimes, when people need a, a massive change in their life, We'll tell them you need to find a new normal. Not try to make your old ways your ways again. Not try to go back to the old things and live differently. But actually find a completely new normal. It's the same thing even when we're dealing with grief or deep hurt, loss in life. There is something that we have to be able to find and live out a new normal. Because things aren't the way they were. And they can't be the way that they were. So the problem here is that Sarai is barren. She cannot bear children. She has not yet. And so now is even a little bit of a proposal. Well, let's see. Is it Sarai or is it Abram? This is a little bit of a test, isn't it? Whose fault is it? But the solution, it's a bad solution. And this is a terrible solution. The proposal from Abram's wife is to take the maidservant, trying to take God out of God's promise. You understand what, that doesn't work. Take God out of God's promise, and what do you have? Nothing. You have a waste of everybody's time. But that's exactly what's happening. Let's try to take God out of the equation, and let's try to fulfill a promise based on our own understanding. Proverbs tells us to lean not on our own understanding, but to acknowledge him. So the solution is this proposal. Take the maidservant. Let's take God out of the equation. It never works. It's a bad idea. You can't take God out of what God has promised. It might bring a result, and it does bring a result, but not a good one. Not the right one. So will we wait in faith or will we try to fulfill God's promise for him? Thinking that he is slacking like Abram and Sarai. But eventually, guys, they pay the price. Sarai despises Hagar. Abram welcomes this turmoil into his home. I mean, this is a dysfunctional home at its finest. I mean, the soap operas have nothing on Genesis chapter 16, okay? Let's be clear. There is nothing new under the sun, okay? The plot line doesn't thicken. The plot line was thick from the beginning because sin is sin. Wickedness is wickedness. 
Forsaking the promise of God is still forsaking the promise of God. But this stuff is crazy. You read this and you're like, that what? People don't understand how in, intense the Bible is. But man, is this crazy. This is, this is wild stuff. I mean, this is a totally dysfunctional home that belongs on like a talk show that everybody's yelling at each other on the stage. That's the picture here. That's how bad it's not. It's not like, you know, we, we get the picture of Abram or these great saints of old, and, and we think, man, Abram, oh, what a man of faith. Yeah, he was a man of faith, but the dude had major problems. That gives us hope, doesn't it? That helps us get perspective of the grace of God that he calls sinners. He saves them by grace. He doesn't call the righteous. He makes them righteous. He clothes them in righteousness. But they will pay the price. Abram has opened up the doors to complete dysfunction in his home. Verse 5, we continue. Then Sarai said to Abram, my wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised. The Lord judged between you and me. So Abram said to Sarai, indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. A fleshly decision bears painful fruit. Sarai is angry and hurt by all of this. Even what seemed like for her maybe a selfless decision. Well, if I can't bear you children, then take my maidservant, Hagar. Make her your wife. Have a child with her. Maybe I'll be able to, to be a parent to that child through her. But it was still a fleshly decision, and fleshly decisions bear painful fruit. Sarai, first of all, became despised, or first of all, she despised Hagar. Second of all, she became despised by Hagar. Hagar now looking down on Sarai, thinking she's better, thinking she's more blessed. See, when we forget the promises of God, everything gets distorted. Everything gets mixed up when we take God's promise into our hands. And now Sarai is blaming Abram. My wrong be upon you. It's on you, man. You did this. Blaming Abram for the whole thing. And you might think, listen, Sarai, she's got no one to blame but herself, right? I mean, that would make sense. If we're judging this by what we see, she's got nobody to blame but herself. She told Abram to do it. So what? He didn't have to. Just like Adam didn't have to eat the fruit. When Eve said here, and he said, okay, whatever you say, honey. Abram should have been a spiritual leader. Husbands, 
Maybe you're not yet a husband, but you hope to be and plan to be. Ladies, plug your ears. We are to blame. (laughs) Husbands, we are to blame. I have a saying I tell couples oftentimes. When they come in, they need counsel, and they're like, it's all their fault. It's all their fault. It's all their fault. It's all their fault. It's all your fault, I tell the guy. But I say, this is a little rhyme I came up with, and I have to remind myself of it. If our wives are lacking, then we are slacking. It's true, guys. Step up. Take the responsibility. Our prayers are hindered when we don't wash our wives in the water of the word. We've got problems in life, not just marriage. We got problems in life when we're not leading spiritually in our home. Things blow up all around when we're not leading spiritually in our home. We can trace it back to that every single time. So men, husbands, aspiring husbands, step up. That's why I said, women, close your ears, because I don't, you know, now there's all this accountability that we got to deal with, you know. No, seriously, guys. Abram should have been the spiritual leader. Abram could have and should have reminded his wife of the promise of God and his ability to fulfill that promise. When she said, take my maidservant, he should have said, no way. That's not God's work. That is not a spiritual decision. That's trying to take matters into our hands and take something that is natural and put a a spiritual label on it. It's not spiritual. It's a fleshly decision. God has the ability to, to fulfill the promise. And we need not doubt him. So then again, we continue. Indeed, he goes back to her. Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Abram makes now a bad situation even worse. Now, let's not forget, Hagar was given to Abram as a wife Right? This is not just like, oh, well, just, just sleep with her. You could have a baby with her. And he was, she was given to him as a wife. There is zero care for this wife that he should never taken in the first place. He says, your maidservant be in your hand. He's got two wives, and now he sticks them on each other. He makes a bad situation even worse. Again, not leading giving responsibility back to Sarai and not taking responsibility for his actions or even for this child. Like I said, this is like talk show stuff here. This is, this is like the stuff you, you hear about on the news. You're like, this is whacked. This type of chaos is what comes out of fleshly decisions. And so then... Sarai dealt 
harshly. Of course she did. That's the natural response. And why wouldn't there be anything but natural responses when everybody's mind is off of the spiritual? We can only expect natural responses when people are not walking in the spirit. And guys, that's what we see going on in the world around us today. More and more natural responses. If people tell us that we are going to die from a virus, then naturally, we're going to live in fear. Naturally. We're going to live in fear. Is that the spiritual response? Naturally, Sarah is angry. Naturally, she's jealous. Naturally, she's going to respond harshly to the maidservant. That's her maidservant, not Abram's wife. Abram is not treating either of these women like his wife. So she deals harshly because flesh begets more flesh. That's what's going to happen. You make fleshly decisions, it's going to beget more fleshly decisions, which is going to beget more fleshly outcomes, and it's going to continue on until we get out of the natural and into the spiritual, to set our mind on things above, to walk in the spirit, and not according to the flesh to what happens when we walk according to the flesh? We fulfill its lusts. That's what Paul tells us. We will be slaves to the lust of the flesh. We will be slaves to sinful decisions if we do not walk according to the Spirit. Flesh begets more flesh, so much so that Hagar fled. Things got so bad between Sarai and Hagar that Hagar ran away. She ran away. She left her life behind. She left her husband, the father of her child, her whole livelihood. She left it behind. That's, I mean, there's just a simple statement here to say she dealt harshly with her and she fled from her presence. She dealt so harshly that she ran away from her entire well-being. Pregnant, no doubt. She ran away, all alone, struggling significantly in this place. But now, verse 7, now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Now, first of all, guys, the angel of the Lord found her. This is known in scripture to be a Christophany, Christ pre-incarnate. And that's what he does. He finds her. This, this lady 
is in a rough situation. An outcast. In many ways, a fugitive. In such a state of despair, of depression, that she leaves her whole livelihood behind while she is pregnant with a child and goes to run. And the angel of the Lord, Christ himself, pre-incarnate, finds her. Because that's what he does. He finds you. He finds us in the midst of our turmoil. He himself. You see, Abram and Sarah, they, so far we know that they have faith in God. Right? They have a relationship with him. Hagar doesn't. Man, did they blow it. They blew their witness big time. They chased her away. They, I mean, they put her in this awful position, and they're the ones who should be held to a higher level of accountability. They blew their witness. Hagar didn't have faith in God at this point. Abram did, and he messed up. But the angel of the Lord found her in this place. And here's a quote by John Phillips. It says, in the coming of the omnipresent one to Hagar, we see the grace of God wrapped up in his sovereignty. It is the first time in scripture that reference is made to the angel of the Lord. It is remarkable, to say the least. And the first occurrence of the Jehovah angel, probably none other than the Lord Jesus himself, in one of his pre-incarnate appearances. Should be not to Abram, but to Hagar. Not to the heir of all the promises, but to an Egyptian fugitive. Not to a man, but to a woman. Not to a saint, but to a sinner. Not to a person of high rank, but to a slave. Not to one seeking God, but to one fleeing toward Egypt. The friend of the friendless. The loving second person of the Godhead met that forlorn woman beside a fountain as centuries later, clothed in a living human flesh, he met another woman at a wayside well in John chapter 4. It was a revelation of the grace of God. He loved Hagar just as much as he loved Abram. He sought her and found her on the frontiers of Egypt as he had sought and found Abram in far off Ur. Man, the grace of God is so unbelievable. He found her. He met her. Such an act of grace of God to search out and find this one who desperately needed an encounter with him personally. And that's what he does. He seeks each one out in their need. 
And the great need, our great need, every single one of us, our great need is a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. And so what does he say? He meets her and he tells her the absolute worst thing that she could imagine. Return and submit. That's what he calls us to. Isn't that what repentance is? Return. Repent. To return, to repent is to change direction. Do a 180. Go the other way. Return and submit. God calls her to do the most difficult thing imaginable for her to do. But it was salvation for her. It was redemption for her to turn around and go back is to humble yourself. You see, it's not surrender, it's not submission to Sarai and to Abram, it's submission to God. It's surrender to God himself, return and surrender. Return, go back, stop doing things the way you're doing them. But it gets better. Verse 10, we continue. I'm sorry, verse, yes, verse 10. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are with child and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. He says to her, return and submit, but not without help and not without hope. She was in a hopeless situation by natural terms. So naturally, she would run away. But Jesus shows up and says, return and submit, which goes against your nature. But it is the spiritual thing to do, to surrender and to submit to the perfect plan and the will of God. Just do it. It's not a matter of, I, I can't submit to that person because they're so awful. I mean, Sarai was so awful to Hagar that it caused her to flee, to run away. And so she had every right to run, go back to Egypt, just go to a safe place. But Jesus says, return, go back and submit. I can't submit, they're the worst. Get over it. It doesn't mean he's not calling us to it. Because it's submission to God. And it's going to bring a change of heart, not a change of circumstance. But he sends her with hope. 
God doesn't send her without a promise for herself. The God who is a God of promises, right? I mean, he's just giving out promises all over the place here. So here's a promise for you, Hagar. Why not? Because that's what we need sometimes. He knows what we need, and he sends us. He says, return and submit. There's a promise. You can do it. You can do it because there's hope attached to it. And when we walk through life, when we go through the misery, we go through hard times, and he says, do the hardest thing you can imagine right now. Go back and submit. I'm like, I don't want to. It's okay. There's hope. Pick up your head. There's hope. Pick up your head. There's eternal life when we surrender to the will of God. So he gives her this promise. You will be fruitful. You're, you're, you're with child and you're going to name him Ishmael, which means God hears you. God heard your affliction. She didn't call out to God, but he showed up. He hears you. You're not alone. Your life, your, your circumstance is not in vain. There is meaning. You don't have to go back in your own strength. He said return and submit, but you don't have to do it on your own strength. Because God sees you. He shows up. He hears you. And this son will remind you that God hears you. That's what his name, Ishmael, means. And you would have great descendants, he tells her. Now we, throughout history, we know this to be the Arab people. The descendants of Ishmael are the Arab people. The, the battle between Jews and Arabs is nothing new. The conflict traces back to Abraham's attempt to fulfill God's promise in his own wisdom and strength. That's what happens. That's what happens when we try to take God out of God's promise. Turmoil, conflict between people. It says that he will be a wild man. Now, this doesn't mean like he's going to, you know, terrible twos. He's going to be a wild man. <laughs> it's, it's saying that he's going to be without a home. He's going to roam the wild. Free roaming, the idea here is that this is, this is breeding and bringing forth the people of Arab Bedouin people without a place to call home. And he would be against every man, and every man against him. Speaking of, this is prophecy of the constant feud among one another and, and the constant feud with the rest of the world that we see going on. Continuing on, it says that he would be in the presence of brethren, but not at home. Dwelling independently in the presence of the descendants of Abram. You see, God has a heart. Of grace, of compassion, 
And this here, the, the bringing forth of the Arab people was still attached to God's hand of grace. The desire, his desire is for people to come to him and to surrender. And now Hagar's response. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For he said, have I also here seen him? Have I also here seen him? Who sees me. Therefore, the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. Observe, it is between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Hagar's response here is a proclamation of faith. She responds in faith to the word of the Lord, to the the presence of the Lord, to an experience, an encounter with Jesus, and called the name of the Lord Jehovah El Roy, God who sees. Because God showed up to meet her right in her place of need. She was in complete despair. And now she says, Jehovah El Roy, God who sees. He saw her. He sees you. He knows you. When no one saw her, when no one sees, God sees. And we, could get to, we can get to a place of despair sometimes and think, no one sees, no one knows, no one understands. Jesus is there. He is always there. He is the man of sorrows acquainted with grief, acquainted with suffering. And so in our grief, in our suffering, in our sorrow, Jesus is there. You see, he's the God of the mountains and the God of the valleys. When we think it's miserable, when we think it's difficult, he sees. He shows up. He meets us. He ministers to us. But in that, he doesn't just give us like the warm, fluffy hug sometimes that we're like, oh, I just want a a warm, fluffy hug. (laughs) He is a God of comfort, but he calls to repentance. As he did with Hagar, return. Change your direction. Go back. Surrender. What a picture of salvation. What a picture of redemption that we see. And then she calls the place. Not just does she call, call out to God, Jehovah, El Roy, the God who sees, but then calls the place, the place where God sees. 
the spring where God met her. Remember the place where God meets you. Remember the despair you were in. Don't forget who you were, because if we forget who we once were, which is a sinner, like Hagar, and we try to put ourselves above Hagar, we try to think that well, we're, we're something special. Jesus died on the cross for sin and for sinners. Don't forget the place that you were in when he showed up. And he calls you to repentance. She remembers the place. She calls the place. She remembers that it's God, where God meets her, and that it's him who meets her. No one else. God didn't work in Abram's heart and say, Abram, go chase her down, man. You got to fix this. Sarai, go make it right. You chased her away. You got to go make it right. It was God who met her. It's God who meets you. And so Hagar confesses with her mouth her faith. Jehovah Elroy, the name of God. The God who sees. And she now returned with faith. She returns from the place. She acts in obedience. So she confesses with her mouth, Jehovah, the God who sees. She calls the place, the place where God sees, the place where God met me, the place where God showed up. And then she responds in faith and goes back to the place that was the most difficult place she could imagine. The most complicated step of faith for her to take was to go back. You see, Hagar sought a change in her circumstance, but God gave her a change of heart because that's what he does. He transforms lives. He doesn't transform circumstances. We put ourselves in those circumstances, and he calls us to repentance. Look at God's great grace. We take his promises, like Abram, into our hands, and we try to keep him out of the equation and work things out over here and really mess it up. It doesn't go well at all. You know, we cause all sorts of problems, and, and you know, Abram ends up with two wives and, and one kid, and, and it's not the kid that God intended for him, and it's a whole situation. Chases the one wife away because he just kind of left them to themselves. Hey, you guys work this out. I'm out of here. And, that's, and so now one of them's chased away, but God, but God shows up. He still shows up to fix the mess and to bring redemption in spite of us. You see, that's what the story's about is redemption. It's not just about fixing the problems because there were still problems with Ishmael. There were still problems that would follow with Hagar. There's still problems in Abram's life. They're not all fixed. Everything's not solved here. But he brings redemption. He brings salvation. He brought relationship with Hagar. And she returns in faith. 
let us recognize God's grace. And let us not look at God's grace and say, oh, well, if I just, I could do what Abram did and mess up and still be called a man of faith, right? So it's all good. It's not all good. Don't forsake the promise of God. Remind yourself of the promise of God. That he has a plan to give you a future and a hope. Walk with him, trust in him, do what pleases him. And keep waiting on him. Don't, like we started with tonight, take matters into our own hands and and mistake his silence for slackness. Because in the silence and in the stillness, we need to remember that he's present and that he desires more intimacy with us, more fellowship with us. What do we desire? Do we desire more of him or do we desire more fixing, more solving, more magic genie in a bottle? Is that how we treat God? Or do we just desire more of him because he desires more of you?